Welcome to A Walk in My Stilettos, where our goal is to help you walk in your greatness. I'm your host, McKinney Smith. Hey, Faith Walkers. Thank you for joining us on the A Walk in My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to strengthen their resilience muscle, own their stories, conquer their fears so they can reach their goals. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today we have Merlo Liendo. She's a mother of four, a youth counselor, an advocate, a writer, and domestic violence expert who has dedicated her life to helping women navigate through life with her patience, honesty, and tenacity. With over 20 plus years of working with young women and men who are vulnerably housed, who have youth justice involvement and face mental health challenges, Merlo plans to continue to share her expertise and experience as an emerging writer and public speaker with the intent of educating people and their support systems around the danger of intimate partner violence. Please welcome to the show, Merlo Liendo. Hello, hello. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm amazing. With Thank all of this so downtime, much. I'm amazing. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your story and your expertise with us. Of course, no problem. So just a disclaimer to all of you listening. I'm totally biased where Merlo is concerned. So I'm a super fan. Uh, Merlo and I have known each other probably forever. Uh, <laughs> funny enough, our, <laughs> our first connection, I didn't remember, but we connected when we were kids from the area that we grew up in. But then as adults, we connected as adult women and bonded and were like twin flame sisters. And... <laughs> Yes, all of that. She, she is my outside voice. I'm the inside voice. <laughs> <laughs> so this is going to be fun. You guys are in for a treat. <laughs> so Amazing. I love to start this show with an icebreaker question. And that is because as women, we have all these different titles that we go by. But I feel like a title that's not given enough significance is our name because our names have meaning. And every time someone says your name, they're declaring who you are. So. My question to you, Merlo, is do you know what your name means? I do. It's, why are you asking me this question? I hate my name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> out of all of the things, it's the Spanish version of my grandmother's name. So my grandmother's name was Merle, mm-hmm. which I think is Swedish or something along those lines. Anyway, so yeah, my name is the Spanish version of her name. My name is, it means, what does it mean? It's a blackbird. Like it's this little pinch blackbird. But the way I pronounce it, I mean, everybody I meet is like, Merlo, like the wine? And I'm like, yeah, sure. (laughs) It's totally different. But if this is how you're going to remember it, this is how the conversation goes every single time. Merlo, like the wine, sure. So two things. One, when you said that you totally hate your name, that is the reason why I started the show with asking that as an icebreaker question, because I grew up hating my name. and. I mean, you know, our, our parents tell us a lot of lies growing up, some unintentionally, but <laughs> but I grew up with my parents telling me that my name meant beautiful one. And I used to run to, you know, people say, what does your name mean? And I'd say beautiful one. And, you know, they'd gas my head and be like, oh yeah, you're so beautiful. But I grew up wanting to know more <laughs> and digging deeper. And when I started to dig, I found out that it was actually Swahili for strength of character. And funny enough... Better. Right. But funny enough, every time you and I went somewhere, we were always, always saying, if you know, as soon as we said our name, you're like Merlo, like the wine. And I'm like, bikini, rods a bikini. And (laughs) because of that, I actually started to love my name. So when I started the podcast, I was like, that's going to be like my icebreaker question because I hate my name. And I know there's other people out there who hated their name. But now that I love it, you know, if we understand the meanings of our names and the background and where they come from, then maybe we'll actually embrace it a little bit more. So I I thought it was funny that you actually mentioned those two things. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's not get into middle names because then I might just be disconnected by accident. (laughs) 
I won't go there. I won't go there. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so speaking of little girl, what did Merlo want to be when she was a little girl? Uh, I wanted to be a doctor. Mm. I wanted to be a doctor or a police officer. One of those two things. Why did I not know that? Why, why did you want to be a doctor? I don't know. It was just one of those things. I always, I wanted to be a doctor and I wanted to work for like doctors without borders. I wanted to live all over the world and build hospitals and communities and provide like medical care to, to families who other otherwise didn't access it. But that was since I was like a little kid. You know what? Now that I think about it, it actually does make complete sense because you have a heart of gold, your heart to help and to serve and to be a person of service without reward is beyond admirable. So share with us what inspired you to start your work as a domestic violence expert. You know, I had worked with like young people, teenagers for several years and loved it. Love, 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 love the work that I do. But was in a very long relationship that started when I was in high school and as a young person, I didn't realize that this was an abusive relationship because things are so insidious and they happen so slowly. But when I did finally realize many years later that this relationship was abusive, I could have, you know, gone two ways like most people do. I could have decided that, you know what, I'm done. This is over and I just want to move on. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Or in like true to my personality (laughs) I'm Mm. gonna yell it from the mountaintops and everybody's gonna hear about it and everybody's gonna know and I want every woman who is in this situation or a similar situation to have access to information that I didn't have Mm -hmm. so all of those years it's not that you know we were teenagers it's not that he didn't come with red flags there was red flags that everywhere there all of the signs were there I didn't know what I was looking at mm-hmm. and I didn't have anybody to talk to about it I didn't I mean back in our day where there was like libraries there was an internet um I there was just nothing there was no information to for me to access because I didn't know what I was looking for it's funny you say that so I mean most of the women who have come on their show their pain has birthed their purpose so your work as a domestic violence expert stems from your experience in a domestic violence relationship. And like you said, there were red flags, but you didn't know what to look for. So let's get into talking about narcissistic personality disorder, because we've both experienced narc abuse. Let's talk about that. So I guess I'll get you to explain what that is first. Well, this isn't like a DSM explanation, uh, but it's a person as a form of personality disorder. So personality disorders are in the mental health handbook, if that's what we want to call it, just for simpler terms. But it's like other personality disorders. It's a result of, you know, severe childhood trauma. But the way it manifests itself is with a certain level of sociopathy. So there's lack of empathy, inability to have real genuine feelings, a need for orchestrating chaos all the time, lying, which is very second nature. Um, And the thing with the sociopaths when they lie uh, and people with narcissistic personality disorder is they believe their lies. So Mm -hmm. when they're lying, (laughs) you're not believe that is the truth. Yeah. You're not getting the same telltale signs and body language you get from people who lie, who are uncomfortable lying like people with a conscience. So, I mean, there's just, there's so many things and there's always um, an aspect of abuse. And, and for some women that abuse and for men that abuse can just not just, but the abuse can remain in the emotional, mental, spiritual, financial realm. But for most it at some point will translate into physical abuse as well because they're always trying to up the ante of control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can totally, completely relate. In my past relationships, I've experienced a range of emotional abuse, financial abuse, (laughs) 
it's <laughs> so many different types of abuse. And one of the relationships that I was in, it was mentally and emotionally and verbally abusive. And then when I stopped reacting is when he put his hands on me. And that's when I knew that, okay, this is not healthy and I had to leave. So what advice would you give to a woman trying to get out of an abusive relationship? Well, you know, I have these conversations a lot with other women and I think the biggest area of concern always uh, first and foremost is safety. So even if this person's never put their hands on you, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. And I know that's a really tough pill for a lot of people to swallow and to be hyper vigilant while you're leaving can sometimes feel like you're being extra or you're being too careful, but you can never be too careful when you're dealing with these kinds of people because they have no conscience and they have no empathy and they'll go to any level to reach that control over you because they're losing control ultimately when you're leaving. Mm -hmm. But I always tell women, if you can, and if it's possible to not tell him that you're leaving, especially if they've been violent in the past, it's better to just leave while they're at work, leave, you know, if you're going somewhere else, for the day, let's say you're taking the kids or taking yourself and you're going to your mom's for the day, that can be your opportunity to leave. If you have to tell him that you're leaving, there's so much planning prior to the actual split that needs to happen. Like contacting a lawyer is a big one, especially if you have kids or if you have assets that you have to split. Copying all your government issued photo ID, car keys, copying your car keys. Um, and when you make copies of all these things, leaving them with somebody you trust, like don't even leave them in your house. Cause a lot of times I found that women had no idea that they were being so heavily monitored until they go to leave and their car keys are gone right. and they go to leave and their ID is gone. And then you're, you're sitting there like, what's going on? I've never seen this behavior before. Uh, you don't want to see that behavior for the first time when you're trying to make an escape, though. Mm-hmm. It's scary. So, it is. It's very scary. And, you know, I always tell people if you're going to move and he's or she is going to be around um, to have somebody, I would not even a neutral party, somebody who's one of your people to either help or stick around and stay. When I moved out of my ex-husband, I called my mom and I said, listen, I'm moving. Don't ask me any questions. I don't want to talk about it right now. She had no idea what was going on, but I need you to be here and I'm moving. Mm -hmm. And she didn't ask any questions. She just showed up, you know, did what she could to help out a little bit and honestly didn't ask me questions probably until months down the line. Um, Yeah, but it's, you know, and anything could have happened. And you know what, if she wasn't there, and I had another friend who came as well, I had a lot of friends who declined to come because they were scared, mm-hmm. um, which is also totally a normal response too. But, you know, I had a friend there, I had my mom there, and I do know 100% that if they weren't there, that something would have happened. Because we were just, it was so close, it was so tense, everybody was, you know, everyone's adrenaline was like on high and it was super scary even with them there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would never advise for someone to just leave on their own without witnesses. I would never advise anybody to, there was no reason why I couldn't have just left without telling him anything. But I thought I was doing the right thing. This was my husband. This was my marriage. All the things that people tell themselves. But when you're dealing with these types of people, these things don't matter. This means nothing to him and nothing to him that I was his wife other than mm-hmm. his image and his ego, right? Right. So there's tons and tons and tons of advice that I can give for leaving, but those are the biggest ones. Consulting a lawyer, your safety, for sure. Copying your ID and your keys. And having numbers on speed dial on your phone, for sure. Friends, family, police. If there's already been instances of violence, I always tell women to tell their local police department when they're leaving, what time, what this is going to look like. Sometimes they'll send a cruiser around just to show that they're there. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, there are a lot of a lot of things. And if you're going to go to a shelter, these shelters are so skilled and trained in all of the things when it comes to safety planning and exit planning that 
if you're going to a shelter, I would allow the people in the shelter to walk you through like all of the things that would make sense for you and for your move into their facility. This is definitely, I guess, advice that I wish I had (laughs) Um, (laughs) previous to trying to leave these, um, you know, verbally and emotionally abusive relationships in the past, because I have experienced things like, uh, for one, not knowing how much surveillance I was under and discovering that there Mm -hmm. were security cameras inside the home on me, hidden Mm -hmm. cameras on things when I was the stay-at-home mom. Where was I going? What was Mm -hmm. I doing? Um, Mm -hmm. When they were the one traveling, you know, every month and doing God knows what, I have experienced where I confided in a neutral friend where I thought was neutral and they were one of the witnesses to sign some of our legal documents in terms of, you know, our cohabitation agreements and all those things. And when it came time to deal with those paperwork and he had basically forged and backdated some stuff. And I went to her asking for her to be my witness to say the truth on when things took place. And Uh her response was, I don't want to be involved. (laughs) or having the car keys hidden from me when I was trying to escape and having to being blocked in on the driveway by a second car. And literally if I Uh didn't know where a spare key was, like I had to drive onto the neighbor's grass to get away. Like there were so many things I wish I had known to have in place. Like you said. Yeah. Yeah. I know these things are so important. And, and, you know, people are going to listen to this and they're going to be like, what do you mean he had surveillance cameras? That's crazy. Well, like there's no level of craziness with mm-hmm. these people that is too much. Mm-hmm. Like you can expect absolutely. Like I didn't know that my phone calls were being monitored. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, and I don't know what other, I, I have very close friends who much like you found out that there were hidden cameras inside the house and the, how they found out was finding the videos mm-hmm. and seeing mm-hmm. themselves. Like, how disturbing is that? Yeah. yeah. To just stumble across a video of yourself chilling out in the kitchen or hanging out in the garage or in your bedroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the violation of privacy and, and yeah. what that can do to you as a person, right? Yeah, absolutely. My question to you, having gone through um, that experience or those experiences, what did that teach you? What did you learn from from that? Wow, what didn't I learn? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I really learned that, I mean, this maybe isn't the most positive thing, but I've experienced a lot of really nasty people in my life with a lot of very mean people and... I still walk through the world with these rose colored glasses, like there's good in everybody. And, you know, not everybody has these, you know, ill intentions for you and all of these things. And I think my experience with my ex-husband was like evil really exists Mm -hmm. and it walks on two legs and it can come looking like everything you've ever wanted in a person. Mm -hmm. You know, it can really come with all the bells and whistles and, these men and these women, I don't want to just say men, but um, they really, they are so charismatic and so charming. Mm-hmm. Like, That's the hard no part. At no point did some angry, aggressive dude with a scowl on his face approach me and I was like, this is going to be my husband. That absolutely did not happen. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so charming and so charismatic and funny and they are so good at mirroring you and asking all the right questions so they can really get to know you and then mirroring themselves and all of your really great qualities so that it appears that you've met your soulmate or you know that there's nobody else in the world that's perfect for you and all of these false things that you you could tell yourself after meeting somebody like this, because that's all part of the idealization phase, right? You go from mm-hmm. idealization to devaluing to discarding, but the idealization stage of all of this could last years sometimes. Mm-hmm. Where you have someone who's gassing you up, who doesn't want a, a guy that's going to gas you up all the time? You know what I mean? Like, 
they tell you all the right things. They laugh at all your jokes. You know, all of the things that you want and think you want are right here in front of you. Like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. You know, you said that the, the idealization phase can last for, um, for years. And mm-hmm. I think one thing that I know that I've owned recently is that I attract narcissists. And after realizing that I have had multiple relationships with them, that familiar spirit, having to go through the rough healing process to recognize that I attract them. And like you said, you, they don't come with all of these negative qualities. They come super charming, super charismatic. They do the love bombing. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of phrases that are used, I guess, when talking about narcissists and such that the regular person may not understand. So in terms of like love bombing, I'll give you an example. A previous relationship, the love bombing was so intense where I thought, oh my God, Mm -hmm. this guy is the love of my life. I have never experienced Mm -hmm. this ever before. He (laughs) wants to wash my hair. He wants to paint my toenails. Mm -hmm. He wants to feed me. He wants to like share a plate with me. There is all of this love bombing. And like you said, it can last for years. So my love bombing lasted for almost two years where I thought, oh my God, this is it. Like I'm going to be with this person until I'm old and die. (laughs) And then the, the other phase kicks in where all of a sudden the stuff stops and you're just like, Mm -hmm. okay, well I used to walk in the door and you greeted me with hugs and kisses and how is your day, babe? And then I walk in the door and you don't even look up from the tablet that you're watching YouTube on to acknowledge that I'm in the room, that I'm now home. Okay, cool. Um, and then goes to the next phase where it's like, I- I'm sorry, who are you? Wh- what? Mm-hmm. And then, then it's over. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, I- I'm, <laughs> I'm doing my best here not to go into too much detail because I'm not that type of person that's going to name drop or anything, but I've experienced those relationships and it's, it makes you, especially people on the outside where they're like, what do you mean? Because they come across so charming and because everybody else mm-hmm. loves them, it's hard to speak about the negativity stuff because no, it's almost like no one believes you because you start yeah. to look like you're the crazy person. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not possible. They couldn't have done that. Yep. Meanwhile, inside the home, they are treating you completely different than how the outside world sees them. Absolutely. I often say if I had one more woman approach me in those 18 years and tell me how lucky I was to have this man for a husband, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to explode, mm-hmm. like literally explode. I, I, there's not, I couldn't even tell you how many times I was approached by women that he worked with, women that we both knew, women that were mutual friends, women in the community, women on the street, in the friggin' grocery store. Wow, you are so lucky. <laughs> and in my head, I was like, oh, yeah? <laughs> Ow. <laughs> Which part? Because so, in my you know, house, this is not the same person. Right. And you talked about the beginning about there being red flags, but you didn't know what to look for. And mm-hmm. I know that you and I both share a lot of stuff in our stories about narc abuse and, um, I guess, healing from them and signs to recognize And I think one thing that I want to point out, because the term narcissist has become an epidemic within itself, but Mm -hmm. there are actually different types of narcissists. Like there's so many levels to this other than the superficial term that people like to throw around. And I remember when I first started doing my research and I guess when I realized that I attracted them to make sure that I didn't attract any more was understanding that there's like the malignant narcissist who is like the worst Mm -hmm. type of them all who will like lie, cheat, steal, do whatever they need to do. They don't care how you feel. Um, Mm -hmm. There's like the victim narcissist where it's almost like um, the Joker from uh, Batman where, you know, they're, they're sad, but they want, they want to prove the whole world wrong. Like you have no idea how great I am, you know, Uh, like there's so many different types of narcissists. So I just want people to be aware that, they do have very similar characteristics, but they come in different packages <laughs> per se. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? And that it's different situations are going to lead people at different stages in the abuse cycle to recognize they're in an abusive relationship. So the lucky ones will recognize the red flags before they ever get hit. Mm-hmm. 
certain people will recognize the, all the red flags before they find out that they're being cheated on with the 14 different people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, people are going to have this experience and they're going to recognize the red flags at different points in the cycle. So they're going to have different experiences. And I think the whole point of me wanting to talk about this so much is because I would love for women to be able to recognize the red flags as early as possible Mm -hmm. so that they can say, because with people with secure attachments and people who, you know, have the potential to have really strong, secure relationships, they see these red flags from the get go and they're like, no, not Mm -hmm. about this. Mm -hmm. They're not fooling me. So, you know, and something that my therapist said that rings so true is that every narcissist is charming and charismatic but not every man who's charming and charismatic is a narcissist so how you choose to perceive this moving on is really important too if you find that you're attracting and to kind of go back to the attracting piece too I think it's really important because when I left this relationship and I think the same rings true for so many people is you're sitting there thinking what is wrong with me Mm -hmm. like what did I do wrong what didn't I see I attract these narcissists and then saying it like there's something wrong with you Mm -hmm. when the reality is these men are only attracted to strong, independent, compassionate and loyal women. Mm -hmm. Like they want you because you're great. Mm -hmm. You're not going to feed their ego and feed their needs and you're not going to make them look good if you don't have all of those qualities yourself. Right. So it's not so much of a what's wrong with me. It's there's a whole lot that's right with me. But moving forward, what is it that I need to <laughs> to know so that I can recognize this from the very get go? Absolutely. It's it's funny. It's, I guess I'm going to say one of the most recent narcissists that I dated wasn't until after the breakup where I was approached by other females that they had dated and realized they have a pattern. They do like strong women. They do like women that are independent. They do like women that are very much financially secure and are able to take on majority of the load. They do like women who are strong in their faith. It was like women that have all the checks except for Mm -hmm. they're single (laughs) and they would love to be in a relationship (laughs) with everything that you've experienced and the work that you do. What inspires you most about what you do in, in how you serve? I think more than anything is and aside from the work that I do you know with women in domestic violence the work that I do in general for me to be able to provide the tools for people to be able to grow to critically think about their situation to learn more about themselves those are all the things that are the most important to me that it's not that you follow my advice or do what I say or anything like that. I just want to be able to give you information so that you can make more informed and better informed decisions for yourself moving forward. Mm -hmm. So take the information, share it with somebody. Um, It can open people's eyes. People really have no idea that these things are happening. I still have people, I have lawyers and judges and police officers and everybody tell me you know he's a really great guy he seems like a really great guy (laughs) he makes good money he's a professional I'm like yeah I was there I know Mm -hmm. like (laughs) but Mm -hmm. he's not a really great I wouldn't be here I I don't even know like the victim blaming is insane yeah Um, well the victim blaming ugh Yeah. And to be able to stand my ground instead of feeling like I was falling apart. And I want other people to have this opportunity too, but to be able to stand my ground and say, this wasn't my fault. I didn't ask for this. I didn't entertain this. I didn't know what was going on. And now that I do, I'm making better decisions, but no, you're not going to stand there and tell me he's a really great guy because he's not. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to tell me, well, he must be something because he's a professional because he's not. Right. Like lots of narcissists are professionals. That's what they do. He's a really great dad. I see him on social media all the time, or I see him in the grocery store with the kids, and everybody seems so like, no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't want to hear it. Like, that has 
like your perception of, of him or your relationship with him or whatever is fine. It's yours, but don't discredit mine because yours is different. Absolutely. I think that's a big one that people need to understand because everyone's perception, we could actually be in the same room at the exact same time and see the exact same thing. And our perception of it in that room can be different, much less Mm -hmm. to have a perception of somebody based on one person who lives with that person, based on someone who has occasional encounters with that person. And I had an incident just over a year ago where I was on a live for the black love page. And I think at the time they had like 400,000 followers or something like that. And I was speaking on a past relationship where it was verbally and emotionally abusive. And I left when they put their hands on me and I spoke about some of the control and manipulation and um, I guess some of the other abuse that was happening and someone who had watched it basically went to one of my exes and said, I believe she was talking about you on this live and it has to be lies because you're such a nice guy and you would never do such a thing. Mm-hmm. And he came to me <laughs> to let me know this. And I thought, mm-hmm. wow, like I'm sharing my truth. I'm sharing the honest to God truth of what happened to me. And I'm being perceived as a liar because that person mm-hmm. is viewed as a nice person. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that. And that is the nature of this abuse too, because, you know, you get into, I with narcissistic personality disorders, there are all of these terms they use, so like lying monkeys, and you know they surround themselves with people who put them on a pedestal, right? Because they need that constant ego stroking, really. Right. So yeah, they're going to be surrounded by their fans, their super fans, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're they're flying monkeys. They're people who think they are like God's gift to the world, and they walk on water. So. And th- this is exactly why a lot of uh, people don't talk about their experiences because it's mm-hmm. hard to hear and it's hard to have other people question your reality or, you know, the victim blaming, like I said before, these, these are big reasons why people don't talk about it. Um, and I think, well, I know that it's the silence and the shame that gives these people all, all of their power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. and I'm so determined and so determined to talk and to write and to share my experience, not only to take that power away from them, but to give power back to people whose voice matters. And the only way where any like, people are going to get through this is if they know what they're looking at and they know what's happening. Mm-hmm. You spoke to questioning reality and it being hard when other people question your reality. And as someone who has had many relationships with narcissists, it's already hard enough to be in a relationship with them because of all the gaslighting Mm -hmm. and them making you question your reality, them invalidating Mm -hmm. your feelings, them making you question if something really happened or didn't happen Mm -hmm. or the way things happen. So for anyone listening that doesn't know what gaslighting is, the term actually comes from a movie back in the day where uh, I believe it was the husband was trying to make the wife feel like she was crazy. So he would do things Mm -hmm. and then flip the script and say, he didn't do it. She's crazy. So the, the term gaslighting, I mean, I have had relationships where I've lived with people that constantly gaslighted And I've had a family member that continues to gaslight. So having people do things to you that make you question if you're going crazy. For example, if you have, you know, I don't know, $100 and $20 bills sitting around and 24 hours later, there's either, I don't know, there's only $60 or $80. You're like, I swear I had $100 here. And everyone is looking at you like, no, it was always 80. Like you're in your mind, you're questioning but I swore mm-hmm. there was a hundred dollars. And then you start to question mm-hmm. yourself, but the yeah. people around you are confirming what is actually not true as your new reality. And yeah. coming from living with people that treat you that way to now coming out of that. And because the whole world sees them as this amazing human being. And then they question you even more about what actually really happened. Mm-hmm. Like I interviewed someone recently and we, we spoke about it off air but one of her ex-husbands, because he's a severe narcissist and she had to go to therapy for it, but someone that he was with prior to her, she's actually in a mental institution 
dealing mm-hmm. with, I guess, trying to repair her mental health because mm-hmm. of the amount of abuse and gaslighting that he had done to her to make her question if she's going insane. Yeah, I believe that. Wow. Tell us, what's one thing that most people don't know about Merlot? You know what? I'm not as much of an open book, maybe, as people think. So I put a lot of stuff on social media. I use humor to get through everything that's hard, everything that's not hard, everything that's easy, everything that's great, and everything that's awful. So, um, <laughs> But, you know, there is a certain degree of privacy mm-hmm. that I like to hold on to as well. And I think mm, people really don't know that so much about me either. Mm-hmm. So it kind of appears like like I've got everything out in the open, um, but I don't. I definitely don't. It's interesting you say that. I guess someone looking from the outside that doesn't know you would look at some of the stuff that you post and, and feel like they know you or all about you. And mm-hmm. I can see how there is the more important details that you are private with. Mm-hmm. Because they're important to you. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. And and I guess there's also that same misconception about myself. Because I am very transparent, I can be completely transparent. But you still have no idea, like, the finer details of mm-hmm. my life. So as much as, like, anyone who is close to me knows that I'm transparent online. And people may feel they know everything about me. When actuality, you probably only know 5%, if that. Yeah. 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 So I, I get it. <laughs> I mean, I think with me, people probably know 85%. Uh, <laughs> maybe 15 is a little bit private. Um, but you know what, though? I think that attests to my sense of humor, too. I mean, everybody knows that what's funny really isn't anything that's totally absurd. It's real-life stuff that people talk right. about. And, uh, yeah, I'm determined to be an open book only because I just want to be relatable. Mm-hmm. in this life we have one shot to get it right this time and we need to lean on each other and and know that we're not in this alone absolutely i love that speaking mm-hmm. of not in this alone you spoke earlier um about your therapist so i love to ask the women that yeah. come on the show if they've had any coaches or mentors that have helped them along the way and i guess how yeah. that's helped them so same question to you have you had any coaches or mentors that have helped you along the way i've had so many when I left my ex, I was a complete and total mess. It was, and I've been through a lot of really hard stuff and I'm not, it's, there's no secret about that either. Um, but this was by far the hardest thing I've ever done. I will never, ever downplay that. Like this mm-hmm. was super difficult and it was really difficult for a lot of years. And I still have, you know, I'm, and things are great right now, but I still have days for sure where I just like I literally have to peel myself out of my bed but I have a handful of girlfriends some I've had since public school and some I had just met who were really I think more important than they even realize Mm -hmm. in like these stages of my life where you know I I just needed to be heard uh, without somebody trying to shove solutions down my throat I needed to be believed. Uh, my mm-hmm. feelings needed to be validated. Like all of the things that you're looking for in counsel, mm-hmm. um, you fa- you really do find in friendships. So there's lots of women. Lots. I have a friend who comes with me to court because I can't do court on my own. But I've mm-hmm. got complex PTSD. I can't do court. Like I can't even. I can't even think. The minute I get into the underground parking, like I'm just, everything. My mind just goes completely blank. And I have a friend who. No questions asked. She will clear her entire day at the drop of a hat and she mm-hmm. attends court with me. You know, I have friends that have encouraged me to continue writing when I felt like I was tired and I didn't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I have, you know, I had looked for a therapist for a long time, but for a lot of years because of the financial abuse that went along with all of this. I didn't have the money to pay for a therapist. Um, Mm -hmm. So what I was looking for was therapists that were government funded, that were offered through, you know, programs in Toronto. But because of my background in counseling, I felt like every time I met with one of these 
therapists that were going to be free of cost to me, that they just weren't, there just wasn't enough. The skills weren't what I needed. I think the degree of the work that I needed to do wasn't what I needed. Now that I'm in a better position financially, I interviewed probably 10 to 12 therapists. I knew exactly what I was looking for before I even started. I knew I wanted a female that I wasn't going to work with a male therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, I needed a female therapist who specialized in narcissistic personality disorder, because if they don't, they have no idea what you're dealing with. Absolutely. Yep. Who does trauma therapy and specializes in complex PTSD and specializes in domestic violence and works with more than one modality. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) these were all of the things on my checklist. And I met with, like I said, 10 to 12 of them. And a lot of them, I just, on an interpersonal level, wasn't clicking with. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the one that I have now is she's perfect. Like she's one of the most important people in my community and my team that I have of women to support me. And she's amazing. I love it. I love yeah, that. She's amazing. Yeah. And I she digs that. deep and she laughs at my jokes. <laughs> then let me get away with it. <laughs> I love her. So she'll giggle a little bit and then she'll be like, okay, no, back to the question though. And I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to play <laughs> I love that. And I've had a few women that have come on the show and spoken to the importance of having a therapist and the importance of interviewing therapists because mm-hmm. the first one you encounter may not be the one for you. So I love that mm-hmm. you spoke to having to interview multiple ones and having a checklist of what it is that you're looking for because of your needs. I think that is mm-hmm. extremely essential. And another thing that I feel is very essential is self-care. So what does your self-care routine look like? You know, self-care is seeing my therapist. Mm, and I that's, that. I think, the biggest part, the biggest thing for me is is seeing my therapist and being open and honest with the people around me about, you know, how I'm feeling and what I need, what I want, communicating with people. Like, these are all of the things that, we don't have the luxury of having when you're living in an abusive relationship. Right. Um, and people lose sight of that. Is you, yeah. You're, and you don't, you can't speak your mind and you can't talk about what you need or want because they don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. The minute you talk about something that you want or you need, they take it as a personal attack and, you know, you just end up in a super volatile situation. So you learn to not express yourself. Mm-hmm. So now being able to have open, honest communication with people and, being able to sit down with, you know, the therapist to unpack how I even got here to begin with mm-hmm. is super, super important to my healing and my growth and writing. I mean, writing has been an amazing outlet for me as well. I love it. I mm-hmm. love, I love all of it. I love that you found the therapist for you and that you're healing and you're writing and everything that you're doing and I'm here for all of it. <laughs> I know you are. You're one of my people. I love you, girl. I know. I love you, too. So completely random question, which is a question I love yeah. to ask every woman that comes on the show. And so far, it's been on point. So let's see how this goes. I came across this article on Reader's Digest that basically... I guess, explains what your favorite type of shoe says about your personality. So Merlo, my question to mm-hmm. you is, what is your favorite type of shoe? Is it like a high heel boot, a running shoe, a flip-flop, a stiletto, clog, wedge, mule? I don't know. What's your favorite type of shoe? Oh, wow. You know what? It, it depends on my mood. <laughs> so like a first thought would be my favorite type of shoe would be like a flip Well okay, if it's a flip-flop, something that's glittery or shiny or has diamonds or something on it Mm -hmm. or animal print. Um, But because I love the summer and I hate shoes and I hate socks. Um, So that really reminds me of being on the beach and being able to just kick them off and go wade in the water, you know? Okay. Um, But when I think about like a shoe shoe for like, you know what I love, love or thigh high boots. Okay. High stiletto, black leather boots. 
Okay, so let's see. Let's I'll you know what? I'll read both. Let's see. Flip-flop fans are laid back. As you may have guessed, this person is very chilled out and easy to be around. They're happy to go with the flow and see where life takes them. Rather than succumb to societal pressures, they'd rather follow their bliss and do what actually makes them happy, whatever that may be. The flip-flop person is ready for anything, very easygoing and unconventional. There's someone who is spontaneous and willing to go with whatever is happening in the moment without regard to the appropriate thing or the norm or whatever's expected. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. That, huh? <laughs> that sounds like Merlot. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. You, well, you know what? We'll just stick with the flip-flops. <laughs> you know what? Here's the funny thing. I think that the high heel boot also explains you as well to your other side. Let's see. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> High-heeled boot wearers take charge. In the event of a crisis, the person who loves wearing high-heeled boots will always be the one to take control of the situation. They're quick on their feet and able to make clear, rational decisions. This woman is exceptionally self-assured, so people around her feel instantly safer in her hands. The high-heeled boot is a take-charge kind of person. She loves being center stage and is very assertive. (laughs) Yeah, well, I, I think both can work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Carry my wind machine for me to the beach. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> They're both you. They're both you. <laughs> so tell That's the people awesome. where they can stay connected with you online before we go to the final segment. Well, on Facebook, it's my first and last name. Um, and I believe I'm the only one. So you don't have to go searching for all the Susie Smiths. Um, <laughs> and on Instagram, it's Miss Merlo, M-I-S-S-M-I-R-L-O, which I like to spend with a bit of a disclaimer. Sometimes I'm <laughs> a little bit ridiculous. But I, and you know, in all honesty, my level of ridiculousness is actually 10 times worse than anything that I put on social media. So... <laughs> I will have the <laughs> links to at. all of your socials in the detail yeah. section so they can just click. So yeah. the final segment of the show, I call it a walk in her wisdom. And it's just some reflection questions and you share the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. I have to say The Alchemist uh, is the first mm-hmm. one that jumps out, which is one that you can read like several times. I think if you read it several times in your life at different stages in your life, you probably mm-hmm. pull more out of it. And I think Women Who Run With Wolves mm. is okay. another, yeah, it's another one up there. And it's one that's a compilation of like sh- shorter stories and stuff. So you can, it's one of those ones that you can read and put down and go back to over the course of you know however long you need to if you're somebody who reads multiple books at once mm-hmm. that one's the perfect one to be able to like pick up and put down okay mm-hmm. if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it what would it say and why would i have a picture of me on it no i'm just kidding um <laughs> i don't know what it would say but definitely something to do with women Okay. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Name one of the most worthwhile investments that you've ever made. And that could be money, time, or energy. I think my therapist. Love it. My most worthwhile investment. Okay. It's investing in myself, really. Perfect. And that, I mean, most of the women that have come on the show, investing in themselves has been the response to that question for sure, which I love. Mm-hmm. What new belief, behavior, or habit has improved your life in the last five years? I think being patient with myself. So those who know me well know that I have all of the patience in the world for everybody. All my friends, my family, kids, people in the street, the TTC driver, I have all the patience in the world for everybody, but I haven't always been the most patient with myself. So Mm -hmm. learning how to be patient with myself is right up there for sure. Love it. What have you become better at saying no to in the last five years? And that could be distractions, invitations, family. 
you know what? I've become better at saying no to and walking away from situations where people want to question my integrity mm-hmm. or my character, um, especially in relation to being a domestic abuse survivor. Mm-hmm. Love it. Mm-hmm. How has being a mother changed you? well I mean here's the thing I've been a mom since I was 16 so I don't know any different Mm -hmm. really I feel like it's been a privilege and not to sound cliche or cheesy or even fake I really really truly believe that you know motherhood's not for everybody and that's okay but it's definitely been something that's been for me and uh, I haven't found it as challenging as much as I've found it uh, a real opportunity to grow and take better care of myself and the people in my life. And yeah, motherhood's the bomb. Love it. (laughs) And last but not least, what impact do you want to have on the world? Oh, that's a really good question too. (laughs) you know what if I can help one person one woman stand taller and have a little more courage and speak with her chest then I'm all for it yeah say it with your chest yeah say it with your chest own it take up space make them hear you all of those things I love it. I love all of it. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Merlo, for taking the time to join us. You have no idea how much I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And to all of you faith walkers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and make sure you join the community of faith walkers and sign up for our weekly newsletter at awalkamystilettos.com. Be sure to grab one of my personal development books available online everywhere. And if you can think of one person that would receive value from Merlo's testimony, please share it with them. Share it with them so that they can learn, so that they can stand taller, and so that they can be very aware of narc abuse. Be sure to screenshot this week's episode and tag us on Instagram. You can tag Merlo at Miss Merlo, and you can tag myself at The Real McKinney Smith, and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling. <laughs>